Well, welcome everybody. It's good to have so many people here and to see some new faces. And again, um, I'm new to a lot of you, so I don't know everybody. And so if I think you're new, but you've been here for 100 years, I'm sorry. And if I think you've been here 100 years and you're new, I'm also sorry. So I apologize for that. Um, just the same. I do want to echo what David was saying about the Soup Fellowship next week at our church. I want to encourage everybody to come. Um, bring a soup if you like. Bring a dessert if you like. It's a great time of fellowship. It's also a great time to maybe invite people who um, may be a little bit nervous or uncomfortable coming into a church service. At this day and age, realize this, that everybody's used to digital things. Everyone's used to checking things out online. They're not used to being in person. And just walking off the street into a church can be intimidating to some if, if they're on a journey and they're looking. So they might do a lot of online searching stuff, but the Soup Fellowship allows them to come to something of a gathering that is less intimidating and they get to uh, be around Christians and other people. There'll be kids running around like crazy, having fun, teenagers running around. I promise you it'll be a great time. And if you come and you're having a miserable time, you can leave because it's not a set start and end time. You just come anytime after 5.30 and stay as long as you want. And so I want to encourage you to come out for that. We just decided this as well. November 7th, I think, um, we're going to extend our joint services for one more week. November 7th, we're going to plan a friend day. And so that will be a day on Sunday morning where you can invite, and this is specifically for you to invite um, guests uh, from your neighborhood, family members. So we're going to have it called a friend day, and that will be November 7th here. 10:30 a.m. and I'll preach the gospel and it'll be and we'll have an invitation and it'll be an opportunity for those who are not saved to really hear a concise and directed gospel message in the hopes that the Holy Spirit will draw them to him and and they'll be saved. And so um I think the New Village elders uh, are are good with it, we're good with it. And so one more week November 7th. We were going to do it uh we want to do it at the end of October, but with it being October 31st, that would be difficult to get in a lot of people, I think. And so we're going to extend it one, uh, one more. And we'll give you the details uh, about that day, too, but um, November 7th. Those are all the extra announcements I have for my, my church, uh, New Hope. Everything is about the same with, um, you know, the, the regular week with teen night and everything like that. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 4. Nehemiah, it's uh, in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with it. And it's uh, before Psalms and Proverbs. If you get there, go, go left. And uh, if you're in Genesis, you've got to go right a little bit. Uh, but Nehemiah chapter number 4. This is a passage that um, we went through at my church not too long ago. But I want to encourage us all again. There's some principles here that I think are helpful in anything. Here, here's what I want you to take note of before we even start. When God starts doing a work, things change. Things aren't going to be the same. If it were the same, then God wouldn't begin doing a work. Now, God's always doing a work, don't get me wrong. But when God st starts to want to stir the pot of revival, when God starts to want to uh, progress in a way that is, that is, is different, then things are going to change. And remember this tagline, when God shows up to do a work, Satan is also always going to go up to do a work. There's nothing that Satan wants to do more than to ruin the plan of God and what God wants to do. He hates God, and he hates that which God loves. Now, I do really believe this. I mean, if you look around you, this is different than all of us are used to, I think. God is doing a work, and I don't know how long that work is going to be done in our midst. Uh, it might be short-lived, it might be long-lived, but I think God's doing a work. 
And when God's doing the work, we expect God to show up. And when we come to church, we're, we're asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to challenge us and to make us different. And that means that we go out of this place different, changed, empowered. But also note that with that comes Satan's attacks, comes Satan trying to hinder, comes Satan's trying to discourage, comes Satan trying to, to veer you off the path that God has you on to attack in any which way. And, and the unfortunate thing is that the devil doesn't have to use right tactics. He can use any dirty tactics he wants. He's the father of lies. And when you're the father of lies, it doesn't matter what you do. You can do anything. And in your mind, it's fair game. And so just know this. As things get better and as things progress and as God works, guess who also shows up in the church? in the nation, in our own families, and even in our own lives. And so we have to be on guard for that. Now, we come to the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to pray in just a second. Let me give you some background. This is post-Babylonian captivity. God had allowed his children the, uh, of the nations of Judah and, and Benjamin, those two tribes, being brought into the Babylonian captivity because they couldn't get it right. They kept worshiping idols. And if you're here with us on Sunday nights, um, and by the way, Sunday night tonight, 6 o'clock, we'll be back in the book of 2 Kings. But on Sunday nights, we're looking at, man, they're worshiping every idol you can imagine. And then so God allowed the Assyrian captivity to come, and that was the northern tribes. And this one, the southern tribes in the Babylonian captivity. But the Babylonian captivity was going to be short. And so all the men and, and the able guys uh, were taken away into the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonian Empire is then taken over by Persia. And now God is going to allow them to come out of captivity, post-exilic, if you will, and they're going to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple. What happened when Babylon took over, they destroyed all the walls. And back in those days, walls were very important around cities because it was the main line of defense. They didn't have radar. They didn't have, you know, kind of uh, um, spies of, of, of a technological sense. Uh, they had a walls, and they had watchmen placed on the walls, and then when enemies would come, they'd be able to cry out that the enemy is coming, and the walls would provide some sort of protection. You can think of in the area of, like, Jericho. And so the walls were broken down. The temple was destroyed. Everything that they knew was basically destroyed, and God now begun this work. Things are changing. He allowed the first bit of Exodus to come out under Ezra, and, and Ezra is going to rebuild the temple with some others, Zerubbabel and things of that nature. Then... Nehemiah gets this calling. Now, Nehemiah is just a cupbearer. What that means is, is he worked for the Persian king, and he would arrange the food, set, up it all, set it all up from the chefs and the cooks, and then would eat some of it and drink some of it to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. That's all Nehemiah was. He was just a simple cupbearer until God worked in his life and said, Okay, guy, guess what? I have something new for you. I want you to leave this place. And though you haven't been there, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to rebuild the wall. And he had a lot of this. It's, it's funny how the themes um, constantly repeat each other in the Bible. Um, he has the same thoughts Moses did. Uh, do you have the right guy? Uh, I'm a cupbearer. I can't build walls. No one's going to listen to me. He has some of those things. After wrestling with God for just a little while, in his mind, in his heart, he goes... The, Babylon, um, the Persian king is going to pay for it. It's amazing. So he gets there and he starts rebuilding the wall. And God is, is starting to allow people to follow Nehemiah. 
and, and, and all of that nature. We're going to come to chapter 4 in just a second. But before we do that, um, let's pray. I'll give you a little bit more background, and then we will um, jump right into the Scriptures. Father, we thank you again for your grace. We thank you for your power. We pray, Lord, that you would arrest our attention upon you, that you'd free us of whatever distractions we may have, free us of whatever burdens we may be carrying. Lord, thank you for your infinite matchless grace, Lord, that allows us sinful people to serve you. Father, none of us are worthy. None of us are good. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But, Father, I stand up here not as a worthy person, not a qualified person, but, Lord, I stand up here as redeemed by the grace of God. And, Lord, I pray, Father, for that grace to be bestowed upon each person here, Lord, that we'd hear from heaven, that we'd be changed, that we would live for you, that we would be reminded of these truths. And, Father, that you'd use us to stir up a revival. Use us, Lord, in whatever manner you see fit. Um, Father, whether, whether it's to stand ground, whether it's to advance, whether it's to see revival, Lord, we, cr we pray, pray out for it, we pray for it. But, Father, we leave it in your hands. Help us in this scriptures. Lord, I do want to make mention of just a few people who are not feeling well, Lord, or going through some difficult times, Lord. So I offer you up to the Dingus family and the Avila's family, Lord, and just, you know the needs. Meet them in a special way. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the king of Persia allows Nehemiah to go, and Nehemiah makes this two-month journey by the protection of the heathen king's captains. And God grips the hearts of the families in Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. That's what we're talking about. And Nehemiah organizes them to rebuild section of the wall um, that they would be most concerned about. You're in charge of this, and you're over here, and you're over here. And he begins to delegate them based on their different talents. Now, before this, we meet two different people, a man named Sambalit and Tobiah and their cohorts. And they despise the fact <clears throat> that somebody would come to seek the welfare of Israel. See, what's happened in the time that the walls have been broken down in the time that Israel's been in captivity or Judah's been in captivity, the enemies like, like ants and roaches have taken over in, in just every which way. They can come in and out of the city. They can wreak havoc. They can do this Satan's work. They can do all of these different things without much resistance because of that. So when somebody comes to do the work of God, they don't like that. They want that to stop. Whether they know it or not, they are minions of Satan in this particular area because Satan doesn't want God to do a work, and those that walk with Satan don't want God to do a work. Let me explain this, church. <clears throat> as God revitalizes and as God sets forth growth, don't be surprised if the community doesn't like it at times. Why? Well, because Satan is the prince and the power of the air, and we don't have a nation that's in submission to Christ. We have one in rebellion to it. And so it, even though it sounds nice, oh, let's rebuild the wall, let's, do, let's see Jerusalem rebuilt, there's something that Satan stirs up in people and says, no, we don't want a church to grow. Matter of fact, I, I'm sure there's plenty in, in the area who might say, you know what, they should just tear that down and build up um, new, new complexes there. They could do a lot with that land. Forget a church. Who even goes there? Who even cares? Don't be surprised if those things come your way. <coughs> so we come to chapter 4. Sam Bout and Tobiah hate the fact that God's commissioned somebody to go there. Who are you? Who, who are you coming to this area to try to do God's work? Chapter 4, verse 1. But it came to pass when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews 
Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. So here's what God says, rebuild the wall. Nehemiah's like, I'm not exactly sure how to do that, but God, if you said it, I believe it, we'll do it. And you would think, oh, wow, they're going to do this nice thing. And then here come the skeptics. Here come the naysayers. Always be weary of the naysayers and the skeptics when you begin to do what God's called you to do. Because they will come out. And, 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 and their arguments begin to come. Now, Sambal and Tobiah, they're men of Samaria. They much enjoyed the free access to um, Jerusalem. And they begin to mock the work that's done. They begin, to, they begin to murmur, they begin to discourage, they begin to complain. Now in this case, Sambal and Tobiah begin to realize that the threat of Nehemiah building the wall has begun to come to fruition. It's no longer a theory. It's no longer a desire. Now it's getting done. Now they're a little bit nervous. And they begin to want to stop it. And they begin to mock the Jews and try to rile up the Samaritans in their army. Look at what they say. They say the Jews are feeble. It's the first thing they say. They're not going to be able to do this. They don't have the resolve. They're going to quit. See, in verse number two, what do these feeble Jews? These, these, these people couldn't even stop from being brought into captivity. They've been slayed for all these t this time. They're nothing but released slaves. They are not going to be able to do it. Will they fortify themselves? Will they really be able to protect themselves? Are they really going to be able to put up a wall that's going to stop an army? Are they really going to be able to protect them from the enemy? Will they sacrifice? They're not going to be able to finish it. They don't have the resolve. They're going to quit. They're going to get halfway through, and they're, not, they're going to realize they don't have the wherewithal to do it. They're just going to give up. Will they make an end in a day? Well, to a day? Are, are they going to be able to do this? They, they don't know what they have. They don't know what this undertaking. This is greater than they can handle. Then they say, well, what, are they going to revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? He said, there's so many broken down parts of the walls that have been burned and trashed and, and piles and heaps of stones. They're not going to be able to do it. Then Tobiah jumps on. He jumps on the pile, and he says, even if they build a wall, even a tiny fox is going to be able to break it down. These are not craftsmen. They're worthless weaklings. Now, all of these arguments are aimed at one thing, discouragement that people would give up. One of the main ways that Satan will always try to attack you is in the area of discouragement that you're not going to be able to do what God's called you to do. He's always going to put that in front of you. You think you're able to do this? You think you have the skill set? You think that you're going to go through with it? I know you. You've quit on this and this. You've messed this up. You really messed this up. You think you're going to be able to do Now God's all of a sudden you're changed. You're not changed. God's going to do something with you or with your church? I don't think so. The whole aim here is to get you to be so discouraged that you give up and don't even try. That you don't even pray for. You don't even hope for. You don't even consider. 
You don't even attempt to think through it more than that, uh, that would be a nice idea, but it's me we're talking about, so forget it. If God was going to use perfectly able, capable people, there'd be no one he was able to use except for Jesus, right? And Jesus was God. Because every one of us can't do what God calls us to do unless God equips us and empowers us to do it. And so what, we're, what the what Tobiah and Sambalat are not realizing is that their faith and hope is not in the wall. It's not going to be in their strength. It's not going to be in their resolve. It's not going to be in their ability to put the bricks upon brick and make this grandiose thing. It's in the Lord. And guess what, church? If the church is going to grow and there's going to be revival and it's going to be revitalized and it's going to go forward, it's not going to be in the trust of a pastor. It's not going to be in the trust of a building. It's not going to be in the trust of our talents. It's not going to be in the trust of music. It's going to be in the trust of God alone doing a work with those pieces. And that's what Sam Ball and Tobiah don't understand. And guess what? Quite honestly, that's what Satan doesn't quite understand. From the time that he was in with the Lord, he trusted in himself, seemingly from what we can gather. He thought he could be like the Most High, that he would exalt himself <clears throat> and be better. And he was so convincing <clears throat> that he caused a whole bunch to follow after him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so all of this argument, is all aimed at demoralizing them, to get them to give up. Let me remind you of something, friends. When you feel like giving up, don't. When you feel like you should give up, don't. There's going to be a million reasons that Satan's going to point out to make you feel like you should give up. He's going to point out things of your abilities and lack thereof. He's going to point out things in your past. He's going to point out things with the bigness of the work. He's going to point out things with your lack of faithfulness. Let, let's, not be, let's be honest. We all lack faithfulness to the degree we wished we, 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 wished we were more faithful than we were. We're kind of lazy at times. We're kind of, uh, you know, self-serving a lot of times. And so that Satan's always going to demoralize and say, don't even try it. Don't work. And so Nehemiah hears this, and he's a rookie. He's a rookie leader. He's nothing but, but, but a cupbearer. He's new on the job. God's just called him here. And now immediately there comes all this discouragement. Don't you wish that when we served God and did the work of God, everything would just fall in place and there'd be butterflies flapping and unicorns uh, if they existed and with Pegasus flying by. Don't you wish it was all going to be wonderful, rainbows jumping through? It'd be great if we served God, everything went right. Mark this down. When you start to serve God, things get harder. We're not here for the social gospel that says, just come to Jesus, everything in your life will be ironed out perfectly if you read the bible and you're a follower of god you know the opposite is true wait a second i'm following god and that gets more difficult and nehemiah might have this mindset he doesn't but maybe he would in his mind if you and i were nehemiah we'd say wait a second i'm obeying god i'm serving god i'm stepping out by faith and now what now what it gets harder forget this i wish i just never did it it'd be easier for me to have never done this than to step out by faith and do this 
So look at Nehemiah's response. Verse number four. Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turned to their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builder. Thank you, brother. And thank you, Diana. See, I can see all that's going on. I start coughing and ten people get up, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, I do appreciate that. It really, really is nice. Thank you. And so Nehemiah, his first response is not to respond, not to argue back. It's not to give them a discourse of why it can be done. His first response is what? Turn to the Lord. You know why Nehemiah turns to the Lord? Because he didn't call himself. It wasn't his idea. Um, and God is the one that told him, so he's saying, God, you're telling me, but they're stopping it. And God, I can't do this anyway, in case you forgot. So I need you to pave the way. I need you to equip. I need you to do this. And, and his prayers are kind of rough, aren't they? He says, turn their reproach on their own head. Judge them for their sins. The skeptics were really, in reality, not opposing the wall, but they were opposing God. Remember what's, um, when Samuel is um, talking to God, and he is telling God, God, the people don't want me as judge anymore, and, and, and they don't want me to be over them anymore, and, and they want a king, and they keep demanding a king, and God, I don't think it's your will to be a king, and, and why are they doing this? And God kind of calms them and says, hey, listen, Samuel, they're not rejecting you and your leadership over them. They're rejecting me. When people oppose the church of God, they're not opposing the church, they're not opposing the preacher, they're not opposing you, they're opposing God. When they're opposing a family that's been ordained by God to trying to serve God, when the enemy is attacking, he's not really attacking a family, he's attacking God. When he's attacking a man or a woman of God, he's not really attacking you, he's attacking God. He doesn't want you to do what God wants you to do. And he figures that you're a lot easier to attack than God is, and so he's going to get at you before he can do those things. And so Nehemiah prays, he gets on his face, and he says, okay, God, you're going to have to do this. You have to get rid of the enemy. The enemy can be powerful. You've heard this be said before, right? We're our own worst enemy. Or the biggest enemy you're going to have to face your whole life is yourself. And of course, that is yourself what Satan pressing buttons. And a lot of times, the biggest enemy is going to lie right in between here. What we think. And how we respond. And the Bible calls it the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The flesh. But what we think, can re isn't it amazing how powerful the mind is? That it can, I mean, we could be all gung-ho to serve God. And then and somebody gives you one sentence of discouragement, and all of a sudden, you'll give up. You'll never do it again. You're, you're, so, you're so shook that you're just like, forget it. It's amazing how just a one sentence can really just mess things up. One discouragement. But look at the resolve of the people. So Nehemiah prays like he should. And by the way, our first response always ought to be to go to the Lord in prayer unless you think you're capable of doing it yourself. And if you think you're capable of doing it yourself, you better watch out. Because things are going to get messy and broken really fast. 
But if you just be humble servants of not, I don't know who I am, I'm not, I just showed up because God said I don't, and you just keep it upward, watch what God can do. Look at the resolve of the people, verse 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. The resolve of the people is this, even though there's discouragement, even though there's demoralization, even though there's this attack, we prayed to God and the people built the wall. But notice this as well, they had a mind to work. They knew God was going to do the work, but guess who had to lay the brick? They did. God working through them, but they weren't lazy, they had a mind to work. The, and not because they were hard workers, but because they knew this was the Lord's work, and they were simply obeying and serving God. As this church grows, as any church grows, as we move forward to serve in any capacity that God would have us to serve, understand it's by the power of the Lord. But then you have to have a mind to work. You don't sit by the sidelines and be like, eh. Servant leadership, working hard. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. They had a mind to work. They were unshaken by the skeptics. They were unshaken by the critics. They were unshaken by the discouragement, and they worked hard. Now, at this point, they built the wall to half its height, probably less than four weeks' time. Now, when it's all said and done, it'll take 52 days, which is eight weeks of six days of work every single week. That is a lot of work. A revival and revitalization and growth is always by the Holy Spirit's anointing and leading, but it is a lot of work. Let me also explain this, right? As a church grows, there's more people... As there's more people, there's more work. As there's more people, it's more messy. And I don't just mean aesthetically messy. I mean people are messy. We're messy. Uh, my dad used to say this all the time. The worst thing about church is people go there. And that's about right. You know why? Because people are messy. Right? How messy are we in our lives, in our thinking, in our doing? As the church grows, oh, it should be easier now. Oh, yeah? It's messier. But it's a wonderful messier. Because really, in the reality, we're just here trying to seek the Lord. We're sinful people. Trying to seek God's grace and be used of Him to further His kingdom. And so the people here worked hard and had to fight off the discouragement inside. You know, if you're really a hard worker, you, you might work really hard, and then you go home at night, and that's when the discouragement can kick in, when you rest. You sit your head on a pillow, and all of a sudden, here come the thoughts of negativity. Here come the thoughts of how, how worthless you are. Here come the thoughts of why you're a mess up, why if you do this task, you'll really mess it up. Or, or sometimes the, the, ta the, the attack of Satan is the opposite. Why does he get to do that? Why does she get to do that? No one asked me. It could be like that, too. Satan's really crafty. He doesn't have to just use one level of tactics. He has a whole bunch. So they build a wall halfway. Verse number 7. But it came to pass that when Sembal and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Amorite and the Ammonites and the Ashtodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, 
and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. And he conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So the enemies attacked with criticism and attacked with discouragement, and guess what? That didn't work because the wall kept on being built. And now the enemy starts saying, wait wait a second, the little breaches where we used to sneak in are now being covered up. It is going to get done. And, And now instead of discouragement, they're going to just come and do a physical attack. They're going to show up. You know one thing about Satan? He's relentless. He never gives up. He is a roaring lion seeking whom may devour. And the hard part is you wish he would just give up already. He never does. You will not find relief from Satan's attacks until you are promoted to glory if you're saved. That's when. And God shall wipe away all tears and all heartache and all sickness and all death. That's when it goes. For now, maybe no one told you this when you became a Christian, but you got drafted as a soldier of the cross. And as a soldier, there's a spiritual war to be fought. We're in a cultural war right now, a, a, war, a cultural war that is, is flipping the script. This is, by the way, a parenthetical on the side. has nothing to do necessarily with the passage. We're in a cultural flip of defining what's right and wrong. Those things which once were called wrong and sinful are now being celebrated and, and, and rewarded. And those that say, wait a second, didn't we used to call that wrong? You hush up, you're a hateful bigot. I didn't say anything. All I said was, wait, didn't it? Didn't. And plus, what does the Bible say, you know? Um, but the whole shift on it is not becoming more church-friendly. It's becoming the enemy of the cross. And you're going to have to say, choose you this day whom you will serve. You're going to have to pick what side you're on. And by association, you're going to be attacked. Oh, you're a Christian? That means this. You haven't heard me say one thing. Oh, you go there? The enemy is the same enemy that Nehemiah faced. And though his name may have been Sam and Tobiah then... It's the same Satan that still roams about seeking whom he may devour, and he will show up, and he's relentless, and if this doesn't work, then this will work. It'd be like a real persistent thief trying to break in this building. You're going to try every single door and every single window and every single secret hatch, every single, maybe there's a key under a rock somewhere, any which way he can, he's going to try to find the weak point to get in and break down the work of God. And so the, uh, the Bible tells us, that the enemy kept on attacking. But here's what the foolish enemy of God doesn't realize. You can't do anything that the Lord doesn't allow you to do. And so all the people go to the Lord for protection. God, we are praying to you. We we are petitioning to you. Verse number 9, nevertheless, that means even though this, we made our prayer unto our God, and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So we prayed, and God instilled in our heart for a physical protection. We have to put on a watch 24 hours a day, but our faith and our hope is in the Lord. Remember this verse, some trust in chariots 
and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. It means basically some will trust in the physical protection of things, but not us. We will trust in the Lord. But that doesn't mean we don't also physically protect. We trust in God first, and then we physically do what we have to do. Verse number 10. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. The wall. And their adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, from all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Some of the people started getting exhausted physically and exhausted psychologically. And some of the people wondered, are we ever going to get this work done? It seems so endless. It seems so much. They're wearing down in their physical bodies, and they're wearing down in their minds, and they're wearing down in their resolve because it's hard. And not only is it hard, but the enemy's attacking and attacking and attacking. And it's almost as if sometimes Satan says, remember this, when you were, you know, maybe, maybe way before your time, just say, uncle. Why, does anybody know why they were saying uncle? Like, what is, it, like, what is uncle? I got to say, like, mercy, mercy. But, like, uncle, like, what does that mean? I don't know. And maybe if you have the answer, tell me later. But um, you just want him to submit. And sometimes it feels that Satan is attacking so much that if we just give up, he'll let us alone and we'll be like, Phew. Sometimes it feels like that in the work of God. If I give up, no one attacks me. If I give up, no one hates me. If I just compromise, nobody will be against me. And so some of these people started feeling that way. And they become aware of a secret plot to attack Nehemiah. And Nehemiah knows that. And, and one thing we begin to learn about Nehemiah is that when he prays, he also seeks a solution to his prayer request. He begins to pray and says, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Verse number 13. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. And so because of the secret plot, Nehemiah's plan was to arm every family, every family, not army, every family with swords and spears and bows. They actually stopped the building for a time and still finished in 52 days. Now, this is a good plan, although it did put a lot of pressure on the men of the family as there was an attack that they would have to protect their family, their immediate children and, and, and wife. But Nehemiah reminds them of this. He says, okay, listen, dads, here's a sword. I don't want to have to give this to you, but we're in a real war. And you might have to defend with your life to protect not only the city, not only the wall, not only the work, not only your houses, but your wife and children. But here's what I want to remind you of. We're not in this alone. Our strength and protection does not come from this sword. It comes from God. And I want to remind you, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. But in that difficulty, all our reliance is going to be on God. And church, I can tell you, it might get harder before it gets easier. But our reliance is not on ourselves or our tactic or our strategy. Our reliance, our full reliance, ought to be on the God of heaven, who, by the way, spoke the world into existence. There's nothing our God cannot do. And so who is on the winning side? We are. We're not the fools. 
We're here serving God, and the rest of the world wants to make you think, what a dumb thing to do. Yo, you need some kind of religious crutch, right? Because you can't make sense of the world without it. Nope, nope, don't need a crutch. Oh, actually, I do need a crutch, but it's not a crutch based on a falsity. It's one based on the truth. And so I will lean wholly on Christ because I can't do it. And I'm grateful for, lack of a better term, that crutch. And by the way, Christ isn't a crutch. He is all and in all and everything, King of kings and Lord of lords. <clears throat> and so the men are given that resolve. It's going to be hard, but our reliance is on God. Verse 15, And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that they returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. You know what they realized? They had this secret plot to go against Nehemiah to break in. And God let Nehemiah know the plot. Now the enemy finds out, here we are, we're going to sneak up. And the light goes on and they're all sitting there with swords. How did he find out? God told them. And once God told them, and the enemy knew that God told them, they walked on home. They decided, well, we can't attack if we can't do it secretly. And friend, you remind yourself of this. Foolish enemy, you cannot do anything that God does not allow you to do. God said, uh, sorry guys, not today. Now they could return and rebuild the wall. Verse number 16. And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the haberguns, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And so although there was no attack, there were still precautions that needed to be taken. And so half the people stood guard, the other half of the people worked. Still finished in 52 days, by the way. And those that did work were armed, one carrying bricks and with one hand, and the other hand they had a weapon. So they were like, you know, brick, weapon, trawl, weapon. So they were doing half the work, if you will, because only one hand behind their back, really, but one hand with a weapon in it. That's how... Immediate attack seemed to be. That's how much resolve they had. That's how much inner fortitude they had in the Lord. And they figured, well, if we're going to be in this, we might as well be all in this. We may as well be in this for God. Look at the rest of verse 18. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we separated upon the wall one from another. In that place thereof, you hear the sound of the trumpet, resort to thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. So Nehemiah travels around overseeing, and with him the trumpeter, who, who would sound an attack. He said, if someone comes to attack, we will sound it, and everyone come to defend. But you remember this, though you come with your swords and your shields, it is not that, it is God that fights for us. Think about that, like in 1 Samuel, if God be for us, who could be against us? That's what David, when David went out to fight Goliath, you do realize he was not some overly brave young lad. He was just somebody who trusted God would fight for him. You believe that today, friend? 
you believe that God is in this? Do you believe that God is in your church? Do you believe that God wants to see people saved? Do you believe that God wants to do a work? And if God wants to do a work, who can stop it? Now, he can try to get you to quit. He can try to get you to give up. He can try to attack it. But if God is in it, it goes forward as long as our trust is in that, is in him. Not in any other clever thing we do. So they were believing in the sovereignty of God here. He's, he's got this. Verse 21. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let everyone with his servant lodge with Jerusalem that in the night, that they may be on guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put off them for a washing. So half and half, from morning till night, each servant who otherwise would not be involved, now were given opportunity to get involved. It says the work increased. Everybody got involved. Everybody, even the servants who normally wouldn't work, now were working in this particular capacity. And so much was the fervency to work for the Lord that the workers, when they got home, they did not even take off their clothes to change them because they would immediately go home and go guard the city by night. So it would be there only for a short time. The people were united in the Lord. And they were there with resolve because the Lord was in it and the enemy couldn't shake them, couldn't fight against it. Just like Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This was one of our key verses last year, I feel like. Let me read that to you really quick. We're just about done. But Acts chapter 20 and verse number 24, the Bible says this, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What Paul is saying there is he was called and commissioned to go out and preach the gospel, to see these churches started, shipwrecked multiple times, stoned, left for dead, all these things that came his way in prison, beaten and whipped. And he said, none of these things moved me. That means none of these things caused me to quit. None of these things threatened me to a place where I gave up because I did not count my life dear unto myself. And I wanted to finish my course. Nehemiah had the same testimony. The people of Israel who once were worshiping any single thing created by man and put in a high place now had the resolve to build a wall which was already difficult, to trust in God amidst the psychological attack amidst the physical attack, amidst the, uh, amidst the, the, the laborious task of, of exhaustion. And they kept on keeping on with unity, fervency, hard work, and the Lord gave the increase. I want to implore upon you this morning, friends, that God has got a plan for you. I don't know what it is. I don't know how much it involves. I don't know what your responsibility and your task is going to be for the work ahead. But I can promise you this. If you're here today, he's got a plan for you. The plan is going to involve attacks from Satan. Attacks from friends. Attacks from family. Attacks from the culture. Attacks from yourself. Keep on keeping on. Keep on trucking. Don't give up. 
And when the enemy attacks and even gives you good reasons to give up, don't. Right? Because their initial reasons were not that bad. You feeble Jews, you are nothing but slaves. You're not skills craftsmen. You can't do this. Part of those things are accurate. But they weren't doing it because they had the resolve to figure this out. They were doing it because God said. If we just will be where God says and do what God tells us to do, then it doesn't matter what skill set we have or don't have or what our failures were or weren't or what our knowledge is or isn't. It's what, where God is, that's where the work gets done and that's where Satan attacks. And then there's this hard work aspect. So don't give up. Then there's this hard work aspect to say, okay, who's going to do the work? Y'all are. I'm not from the South, but y'all are doing the work. What work? I don't know. Whatever God has. You put, the, you put forth the hand to the plow. You keep on moving. Our first line of defense, prayer. Nehemiah did every time he was attacked. He was honest. Lord, I need you again. I love the hymn we sing. I need thee every hour. And then they kept their unity and resolve. That's why the Bible calls the church a body. And there's no one part of the body more important than the other. But it works together. Or it doesn't work efficiently at all. So why this? I don't know. But this is what God orders up for us to look at. Which I'm, I believe with my whole heart that means that God's going to do a work. An exciting work. Things are going to be different and harder. And Satan's going to attack. But here you and I are for such a time as this. In a world such as this. And we get to sit together. And we get to serve together in whatever capacity that is. And we get to see what God will do. You look around. These are your fellow builders of the wall. And God is our shepherd. Leading us. Friend, don't give up. I'm encouraged by all of you that are here today. I don't think you're here by accident. I think you're here, whether you knew it or not, because God has a purpose that he will reveal as you keep on keeping on for God. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. It can get discouraging. It's not always easy. Don't give up. It can get hard and say, man, I'm lazy. I don't want to do this anymore. Don't give up. You might even be physically threatened. Don't give up. I am so glad you're here today. I'm glad that this place is as full as it is. I got a few questions for you. I always end preaching and ask this question first. And I'll tell you why. Years ago, one of the great revival preachers was preaching in Chicago. And, never, and didn't give an invitation after he was preaching. Didn't give an opportunity for people to get saved. And that night there was a great Chicago fire. And some of the people that were at the crusade, the revival crusade, died in the fire. And he said, I'll never again preach the gospel and not give people opportunity to respond to the gospel. I'm just telling you that for, as part of the motivation of why we do this. But with head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, can I ask you this question? If you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? If you'd say, Pastor Jason, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die, would you please pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you do something you don't want to do. I promise you that. But if I can pray for you, if you say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die, would you please pray for me? Would you quietly raise your hand and I can pray for you? Don't be shy. Don't be hesitant. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, 
May I pray for you today? Would you quietly raise your hand right now? Don't you worry about it. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand too. God bless you. I see your hand too. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? If you have already raised your hands, you wouldn't be alone. Is there one I missed? Anybody else? Praise the Lord for that. I appreciate your honesty. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. I got a second question. Maybe if I'll think of a third, I don't know. With head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. How many people here would say, Pastor Jason, I want to do the work of God, but I do currently feel afflicted. I feel like the enemy's attacking. Would you pray for me that I would not give up, though the enemy's attacking? Would you pray for me? I feel like I'm in a season of attack. Would you raise your hand that I can pray for you? Okay, I see many hands raised around the uh, sanctuary today. Many, right? Because Satan's attacking. Don't give up, friend. Maybe this is exactly for you today. You, you put your hand to the plow. You be a Nehemiah. You be one of the workers. You disregard Sam Bouton, Tobiah. Anybody else, you not raised your hand, but you say, I'm in a season of attack. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone else I missed that hasn't raised their hand yet? Praise God, I see your hand too back there. And your hand too. Yes, God bless you. And your hand too. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Another hand. Good. Anybody else? I just want to pray for you. Awesome. How many, last question, how many people would testify this? This is not a popularity contest. This is not, oh, I know what the right answer here is. No, this is just your heartbeat. You say, Pastor Jason, I want to be used of God to rebuild the wall. What is the wall? I don't know what the wall is. It's the work of God, okay? Whatever that means in your life, in your ministry, in your church, but rebuild the wall. And you're going to say this, Lord, as my hand is raised, use me as you see fit. This is my testimony to you, Lord. I want to rebuild the wall. Help me do that. If that's your testimony today, would you raise your hand? You want to be part of God rebuilding the wall in your ministry, in your life, in your family, whatever it is. I see many, many, many hands. Again, this is not for me to measure who's spiritual, who's not. This is a testimony between you and the Lord to say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Praise God. Let's stand to our feet, head bowed, eyes closed, no looking around. The piano is going to begin to play. If you would like to come forward and use the front pews and use these up here as a time of consecration and prayer to pray for the work of God, to pray for your church, to pray for revitalization, to pray for revival, to pray for that attack that you're going through, I implore and encourage you to come out as the piano begins to play. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed, but why don't you come and pray? Why don't you come and spend some time? Whatever it is that's on your heart heavy, or maybe it's a testimony of this is what I want to do. Come. Some have come. You won't be alone, friend. You're not alone. Serving God is a step out by faith type of thing. Why don't you come? If you're not sure you're going to heaven, if you want to talk to somebody about that, you can meet me up front. We'll take a man with a man. We'll take a lady with a lady. And we'll show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. If you want to talk about that today, I encourage you to step out of your seat as well. And we'll have a trained counselor be able to ask, uh, answer your questions. But for now, too, whatever it is, maybe you just got a burden for this community, a burden for our country. Or maybe you feel like you're just going to give up because the attacks are so heavy. Satan's really good at dividing. 
really good at attacking, really good at discouraging. If you knew how many times I was ready to give up because of Satan's attacks, you'd probably be shocked and I'd be ashamed. It's all the time, my friend. So you can keep me in prayer because I constantly struggle with discouragement. Not because I'm overly sensitive, but because Satan's good at it. Sometimes I believe it. And I shouldn't. Sometimes I'm ready to say, oh, I can't do it. I'm the last person on earth who should be able to. I feel like Paul. Lord, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I feel like Moses. I can't do the work. But here's God and his infinite matchless grace. Maybe you feel like that too. Maybe just you feel burned out. Hang in there, my friend. Be refreshed to the Lord. Don't you give up. Keep on keeping on. There's always going to be a Sam Balton to buy it in your life. You might work right next to them at your job. They might be a sibling of yours who comes over and tells you, why are you doing this with your family? Why are you doing that with your family? Why do you go to church that many times? Oh, man, I can't believe you do that. Maybe it's just the news, right? The news is kind of discouraging. Uh, whatever it is, my friend, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged of the Lord. There's still time. You've got time to pray. You can pray in your seat. We're just meditating on the Lord right now. Maybe you're thinking, I, I could never be used of God. Yeah, Nehemiah thought the same thing. I'm just a cupbearer of a heathen king. God said, how about you, buddy? Me? What? Or you just remind yourself of Moses. He's just, he's a murderer, and he's just keeping sheep on the backside of the desert for 40 years until the burning bush says, hey, Moses. And Moses tried everything new to get out of it, and then realized, all right, Lord, I'll just trust you. Play through one more verse. You take as much time as you need, though. I always wonder as God begins to do his work, what will, what will be everybody's section of the wall? Where would God use us? How would God use us? But you remember, I need thee every hour. Not a moment goes by that we don't need the Lord. Thank God for his goodness. We're going to pray and then we'll stay standing we're going to sing a song together father we thank you lord for your grace and your moving in the word of god and the spirit of god lord i pray father that you would direct us in your will father there's no doubt that the work is laborious and the work is tough and the work is difficult and is discouraging with all of the naysayers and skeptics and satan but father we will trust you we will trust your hand we will follow you lord we don't want to be a faithless and perverse generation. We want there to be a remnant, Lord, where we will keep on keeping on no matter what the enemy's attack is. Help us to do that, Lord. We need you. 
Lord, I saw hands that said, I'm not sure I'm saved, Father. I don't know what their spiritual condition is, but Lord, would you open the eyes of their, of their faith, Lord, that they might see you. Father, I pray that if there's any here that are not saved, that they would call upon you to be saved, to have their sins forgiven. For the many that raise their hand, that they're going through some kind of attack or affliction, Father, I pray that you put a hedge of protection around them, give them all the strength that they need. Father, help them to be restored and find refuge underneath the shadow of your wings. Give them clarity of thought and wisdom. Help them not to believe the wrong voices, but the right ones, Lord, to believe not every spirit. And Father, I pray for those that testify, Lord, I want to build the wall. I pray you see their hands. Call them, equip them, use them. Let them see whatever work you've called them to do. And Father, we pray that you'd bless the refreshments to come and the fellowship, bless tonight's service. We pray, Lord, as we depart, that we would all be about your business. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.